Welcome to the Special Delivery Podcast. I am your host, Special. And on this episode, I got Cliff Solo with me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you here. I feel like I've known you for years and years and years, and we're finally sitting down and doing a podcast. So thank you for reaching out. Thank you for staying on me and making this happen. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And I I do want to say before we even really get into it, that I appreciate you for your work because documenting our culture is really important. You are one of the people that I've looked to and, and been inspired by. You know, I want to get into this field eventually at some point to help document the culture and just shine a light in particular on Bay Area hip hop, but all hip hop, but you know. And I just, I really appreciate um, what you have done and what you continue to do. So thank you. No problem. Thank you for appreciating it. So we are here to talk all about Bunchy Carter Grooves. Quick side note, you've been releasing so much music this year. Congratulations. It's phenomenal. I'm so happy for you. Like, man, I went through the catalog of what you dropped this year and Bunchy Carter Grooves just really spoke to me. And we were talking beforehand about why. And I think it just comes down to the fact that the name, of course, is super intriguing. And then I just love people's stories. I love learning about new people. So I type in Bunchy Carter into Google and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's so much to learn about this man. And then you press play on the album and you listen to it and the way you're telling the story while also telling your story and the clips that you included, just everything comes together so well. So I'm like, oh my goodness, we have to talk about this project. We'll start with the fact that this dropped on Juneteenth. Why was that important for you to drop this on Juneteenth? Oh man, that's awesome that you peeped that. In general, I have a thing about dates and and times and, you know, over the course of, of my journey with music, I've done my best to drop music on particular days. At that time, you know, it was a lot going on in, in the country and the energy and the vibe and the environment was very political. And I had a lot to say. And I said, man, it would I would really like to put it out on this day. I feel like it's an important piece to put out there and to just put out into the universe and get that energy out there. So that was the main reason I chose for, for Juneteenth. And other than that, just uh, as you said earlier about putting out music this year, you know, much love to my brother, uh, White Dave. We have some music, you know, together and we talk about, you know, how we're going to release music all the time. He has, uh, you know, managers in a situation where they have plotted out and they have, you know, the full rollout and they got the videos on Tuck. And I love that. Um, For me, I get too antsy with my music. You know what I mean? And um. I like to get it out to the people. I changed my view and my outlook on how I wanted to get the music out. And I see it a lot more as art now. You know, I think about it as painting, you know, songs as paintings and and albums or EPs as collections. And so when I get it done, hey, man, I'm ready to get it out there and get it to the people so they can see it and take it in. And I'm not too much caught up on trying to make a huge impact every time I release. I feel like My music is the kind of music that people kind of discover, you know, like this hidden treasure. It's like, oh, what is that? And, and, you know, fine. Wow, he released this on, oh, wow, it's on Juneteenth. Oh, that's kind of clever. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? And you start to 
realized there's a lot more layers to the music. And then when you listen, you hear certain people like Asada Shakur and Elaine and uh, shout out to Mr. Fab and Bunchy Carter. You hear these voices and you realize it's a lot more to the music than just putting it out on a release date and trying to get fame or, you know, get a bunch of streams or get a bunch of sales. That's a long <laughs> way to answer, but um, that was the reason. No, I love that, though, because you really open the door to your process. I think nowadays there's so many different ways to release music. And at the end of the day, it comes down to how you feel. There's no right or wrong way to put out a project. And I love that you see them as art pieces and you give them to the people. And when they discover it is when they discover it. And just really sitting in that calmness, because I can imagine like those large rollouts and these whole big processes and productions might feel good to somebody, but also might be very overwhelming and just such a task and such a tedious thing. It's like, no, at, at the basis of it, you just want to be heard. And that's what it comes down to. So I definitely feel what you're saying with that. And then this project, completely produced by Kev H. Can you introduce us to Kev H? Yeah, shout out my man. What time for Kev H, man? Amazing producer. Amazing. Amazing human being also, you know what I mean? But amazing producer. In general, the past few projects that I've put out, and especially this year, have all been produced by one producer. A shout out to my man Kev H and Sammy J and Ryman, my man Jazz, my man Islo, Itchy Von Don, White Dave. I gotta get some. My man C Rock. Sorry, I got a lot of shout outs, but no, you're good. I'm telling you, you've made so much music. You deserve to make all the shout outs. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I really love the cohesiveness of the sounds uh, when I work with one producer. Over this year, you know, they just have been sending beats and putting beats out. And I'm just like, oh, man, this is amazing. This is amazing. Because of the whole quarantine and the COVID shutdown, um, I haven't been able to record at Studio 3500. That's that's where I made most of my music. So I had to get my own little home studio set up. That's really uh, motivated and inspired me in terms of creatively, because now as soon as I get an idea you know, as soon as I'm listening to a beat, if a, a couple of words come to me, I'm saying, oh, well, there goes some. And then I'll, I'll just start playing a beat. I'll start playing. I'll come up with a reference on the hook. I say, oh, well, well, there we go. We got we got a hook. I get a verse and then I let me record it. And so what ended up happening is this outpouring of just music. And I said, well, I can't I can't sit on this music. You know, I, I need to I need to get this out. Kev H and, and all the producers I work with are super cool. And they're, they're down with getting the music to the people. And so we got it out there. And actually, we have a little four-piece situation that my man White Dave is mixing, like, currently as we speak. Yes. And uh, I'm excited to get that one out. I don't I want to focus on what you call goose. But there's some music on there that is truly one song in particular that my son loves. It's called um, Holy Breath. It's just really special to me. But. Punchy Carter Goose. That's what we got right now. <laughs> no, we love the excitement, though. Definitely on the lookout for the project with White Dave and the song Holy Breath. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm always excited about things to look forward to. So you're all good. <laughs> Then we get to the project name, of course, Bunchy Carter Grooves. Like I said before, I immediately saw the title, did my Googles. But for you, what was it like not only naming the project after Bunchy Carter, but adding grooves to it? What did that feel like? Hmm. That's a great question. 
it felt rewarding. I felt proud of myself. And I'm trying to remember the line. I had said it on like one of my first projects that I was uh, saying I'll be compared to both Carters. And um, at the time, it comes off as, as if I was speaking about Jay-Z and Lil Wayne, but really I was speaking about Jay-Z, but uh, Bunchy Carter. And just a little slick, you know, double entendre. But I had learned about him years ago, and I was just blown away by the amazingness of him. You know what I mean? Because it was this dude that was this Black Panther, but he was throwing house parties. And they jamming, and then they'll cut the music, and they get up on the table, and they start kicking knowledge and facts. You know what I mean? And everybody is, like, listening. Then they cut the music back on. People keep partying. And I just always remember that little piece of information. It just stuck with me, the ability for, you know, somebody to be that cool. And so over time, you know, I learned more about the Black Panthers and just revolutionary history. I'm not exactly sure what sparked. It may have been Cap No Cap. I think I may have stumbled onto audio clip about Bunchy Carter. And then that's when I, I decided, I said, let me revisit this, this idea. And I had Cap No Cap. For a while now, I had that late 2018-ish. And I was like, okay, I, I, I feel like I have some things I want to say. And it started kind of visualizing the, the picture, you know, the collection, if you will, um, started to come together. And so I did a little more painting. When I came up with Woo, that's when I said, okay, now I feel like I have some pieces good enough to really embody and really give off that energy of Bungie Carter. Because when I think about Bungie Carter, when in my mind, I love the idea of him being with the people. You know what I mean? And being able to jam and have fun with the people, but also kick some knowledge. And that's what that song, when I listen to it, I feel good. And I feel jam and I feel like people will party to it. But if you listen closely, there's some wisdom in there. I love that so much. Two of my favorite things, jamming and wisdom. Right. It's beautiful. <laughs> and then before we get into the tracks, the cover art, what was it like creating the cover art? It was a combination of necessity and me doing it myself because uh, I didn't have access to a graphic designer like that or a photographer to really pull off the look. And, you know, with quarantine, I was like, oh, well, what am I going to do? And so I just started, I started looking up images for Bunchy Carter and it's not many of them available, unfortunately, but I saw that one and I said, wow, it's, it's so powerful to me. You know what I mean? When I, when I looked at it, I was just like, this, this gotta be the one. And so I played around with the, uh, the filters for a little while and, you know, did some things with the font and, you know, the look of it is something that's important to me. The album cover look, just the font. The title, you know, to your point about it being called Bunchy Carter Grooves, you know, before I can put the collection out or the music out, I need for it to feel good. I need for it to feel right. When I say the album title, it's like, okay, yeah, that feels good. Uh, when I say that the um, song titles, you know what I mean? It, it feels good. When I look at the art, I was like, okay, does this feel like something that I click on? And once in, in my heart, I feel like, yeah, I got it then I'm, I'm all right to release it to the people. I love that so much. I'm just such a big fan of doing everything ourselves, whether it's out of necessity or out of control or just, I mean, really wanting to get it out there and not wanting to weigh it. Another thing is also, it's also just a internal kind of spiritual thing that I'm working on is having more confidence and faith in myself, in my own abilities and not 
thinking, oh, I could never, I can't really do graphic design. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how to really design my album covers, but it's like, well, hold on. You, how you cutting yourself short before you even really give it some effort? And I started trying this a while back with some songs, just designing the song artwork. I remember I designed one and my brother, he was like, man, who made this? You know what I mean? I was like, oh, I, you know, that's me. He was like, hey, man, this is fire. And it was a gen, you know, it's one of those genuine things and really sincere that, you know, like he really was impressed by it. So I was like, okay, I may be all right with this. It was also a part of me that is pushing myself to expand my creativity and find different ways to express myself. Now, there's so much power in that, like just the thought of like, oh, I can't do this. And it's like, no, once I actually try to do this, then I'll know if I can do this or not. And a lot of times you can do it. You're already such a creative person that it's like, oh, okay, like this is just another arm of my creativity that I can tap into. So it makes perfect sense. There's so many conversations now about how our generation and the younger generation is just so scared to be bad at things. And we have to get rid of this idea of like, oh, you're just naturally talented at things. It's like, no, you try it and you get better at it. You know, sometimes people first try are great at things, but it's okay to be bad at things when you first start. So it's like just trying is such a big deal. True indeed, man. I think about where I've come as far as an artist and musically. And I think about, you know, some of the first songs and I'm like, oh my God, you know what I mean? Just, oh boy. But it was just a process. Shout out to um, Stickman from Dead Prez. Uh, he had this book called The Art of MCing. And when I first started rapping, I bought that because I was like, I don't know how to rap. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, I know how to rap along with music, but I don't understand it and some of the intricacies and the techniques. And I literally was studying, okay, okay, oh, okay, this is the bars, and okay. A lot of the first music was, but you just keep at it, you know what I mean? Keep working, keep trying something. And then one song I made, I was like, oh, this is a little, this is kind of groovy. And, you know, now I'm maybe at least over 10 years, maybe 12 years now making music, seriously to a point I would say now I'm able to when I hear something in my head I can manifest it you know into a song and how I hear it in my head I can make myself uh, sound like that on the mic whereas before I didn't even like how I sounded on the mic and so you know I just see the progression in myself the fact that I don't make too many mistakes anymore and I'm not super nervous. Shout out to my man LG. When I first recorded, I was so nervous. My leg was shaking <laughs> in the booth. <laughs> I was so nervous, man. Just terrified that I make a mistake, you know, and I didn't have enough air and wind to even get through the verse and and to now where I can you know, sometimes I can freestyle half the end of the verse. I'll have maybe 10 or 11 bars and I just turn it on and go from there. And, you know, just seeing the progression in myself is like, wow, OK, you just you really just have to get to it. I know it's corny. It's nothing to it but to do it. But it's really like <laughs> it's really that simple. My man TK, he has said this to me a long time ago and it always stuck to me. Cause I was saying, try, you know, I'm trying to do such and such and such and such, you know, and I got this and I'm trying to do that. He said, Cliff, man, 
Nike's slogan isn't just try it. You either do it or you don't do it. And I was like, hmm, you're right. And so now, you know, I always think about that and I'll catch myself when I'm saying, oh, I'm trying to, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to try to, now I'm going to strive, I'm going to do my best and just changing my mindset. And I realize that that's done a lot for me in terms of just everything in life, really. Yes, you're doing it. I'll, I'll tell you firsthand, you're not trying, you're doing it. Oh, man. Then we get into track number one, Words for Me Lane. Mm. And somebody said, Bunchy. Blow, Bunchy. Blow. He said, we would say that to say rap, to say say your poems, because as it turns out, of course, he was a great poet. And um, and so Bunchy said, um, he said, blow nigger town, Bunchy. And Bunchy said, yeah, I wasn't invited to come here, but I'm here. Of course, like I said, this album led me to a bunch of Google searches that I'm very thankful for. So, of course, this one brought me to Elaine Brown. Can you introduce us to Elaine Brown? I'm going to pull it up so I don't just be going off the cuff. But No worries. <laughs> um, uh, you know, from, from my memory, before I read a little thing, a Black Panther, a very strong, educated, you know, revolutionary woman. And her words on there were just, whew, it's just extremely powerful. Elaine Brown American prison activist, writer, singer, former Black Panther Party chairwoman, and briefly ran for the Green Party presidential nomination. I'm just reading off the Wikipedia. But on the larger scale, something that was important to me with the project that you may notice is that I opened and closed um, with women speaking. And I did that because there is a speech in a different project, The Wonderful Mind of a Blackamore. And that project, in, in part of there, is a speech from Afini Shakur, Tupac's mother. And she is explaining that if it wasn't for the women, there would have been no Black Panther Party. And she was expressing, you know, to the crowd and particularly to the women, you know, that you need to know your history and you need to know the importance women played in the Black Panther Party and in the, the struggle and the revolutionary struggle. Because if you don't know and if you don't stand up and speak for yourself, it'll get erased from history. You know, I can see that happening. And so I just wanted to make a subtle, but not so subtle point of opening and closing this project because it's called Bungie Carter Grooves. And it is about a man, you know, the man Bungie Carter. But I wanted to not lose the fact and the sight that um, women are pivotal in this, in this struggle and in the Black Panther Party in particular. Super, super important, especially for me, reading about her was so powerful. And now I'm super excited to read her book and just learn more about her. You mentioned earlier that you came across a clip about Bunchy Carter that kind of sparked this album. Was this the clip that it was or was it a different clip? Different one. It's the one, the news report of him actually being murdered. The one on From the Soul. Yeah, man. When I when I heard that clip, it just was... Uh... You know, it just really struck a chord within me. You know, I knew about it and I knew about the situation, but hearing the lack of compassion in the voice of the news reporter and just looking at it in hindsight and reflecting on the current situation we are today and the lack of compassion that was happening, you know, because it was a lot George Floyd and a lot of different political things were going on in the country and just seeing 
what's going on. I was just like, ah, man, this is what made me focus in on Bungie Carter and kind of craft a narrative around that. Definitely. Just the idea of people not viewing these cases as human beings is absolutely disgusting. And you definitely hear it in the beginning of that track. And it's very striking and very disturbing. When it comes to the clip from Elaine Brown, how did you come across it? And how did you know that you wanted that to be the introduction of this project? Good old internets, you know, yes. what I mean? YouTube and, and just a passion of mine, you know, why I am eventually, you know, wanting to move into the kind of more media documenting spaces. I just love interviews. I, I love watching all sorts of interviews from all different kinds of artists and just people, period. I think I was looking up Black Panther women. I may have been looking up Afeni Shakur. I don't remember exactly how I landed to Elaine Brown, but more to the point when I heard what she was saying, when I listened to it, it was just very jarring. It struck a nerve within me. And so I said, hmm, you know, if I feel this, you know, I feel like this is powerful enough to start the project off with. And, you know, that's something in terms of intros and just music. I've just always loved the way a project or a collection starts off, kind of sets the tone, sets the mood, gets you into, you know, where this is taking you. And so when I heard that, I said, oh, uh, you know, I can't, it's, it was too good for me to pass up, to be honest. Jarring is the perfect word, but it also sets the tone in a way that's not jarring at the same time. Like it, it's jarring, but it's like, oh, okay, this is bringing us into a space where we're going to really explore something. This project really juxtaposes empathy and revolution, but also in the Bunchy Carter spirit, it still has a party to it. You brought that all together so well. Yeah, appreciate it. Even how she was, you know, mimicking how he talked. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it's jarring, but it also, the poetry of it, it was very almost soothing. It kind of draws you in a little bit. I like that. With Sonny, I feel like it's a bit like that. And with Bunchy Carter as well. And just the kind of the music behind some of, some of the tracks, I feel like kind of can draw you in. It's a little soothing, you know, I mean, it's a little vibey, it's jamming. You know, if you listen close and you really kind of reflect on uh, some of the lyrics here and there, um, I feel like it's like, okay, yeah, we are talking about some real. Don't, don't forget, we're talking about something that's real here. Absolutely. Then we get to track number two, Cap No Cap. My, oh my, Solo, he back on the scene. Clifford, he doing his thing. Dula, he run with a team. You talked about writing that back in 2018, which is super interesting. The song to me is just very high energy and just felt like an audio collage because you had one verse and then you had said earlier that that was Fab who was giving a speech. I, I literally have written down Fab question mark. What was it like to bring those elements together and what was the thought process? The thought process in general for me has been um, with the music. I do my best to listen to the track. You know, I call them canvases. And I try, I strive to look at the canvas and listen to the canvas and say, okay, what is the scene here? Okay, okay, well, I feel the energy, it was high energy. And then from there, I'll do my best to get myself or my ego out the way and 
just allowed what I feel to flow through with words. And once, you know, I get to that place where I feel I've said everything I want to say, I don't try to do any more. And so with Cap No Cap, I felt like I kind of said all I needed to say or all I wanted to say when I first recorded it. You know, I let it sit for a while. I said, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm done, but, you know, we'll just let it sit and we'll listen to it. Revisited it. And when I heard Mr. Fab speaking, I was like, wow. I was like, man, his brother's power. You know what I mean? I, I've already known that he is much more than just Mr. Fab, very powerful and just intelligent person. But hearing the speech, it was just like, this needs to be heard because this is very Bunchy Carter in terms of the energy. Mr. Fab is one of those people that I could see being a Bunchy Carter. You know what I mean? Throwing a, the, the house party and the function and his hype, blah, 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 blah. But then cutting the music off and dropping some real knowledge. And everybody, I feel like, would listen in and really receive the information and the messages from him. When I started arranging it, I was like, yeah, this just feels right. And that's why I didn't feel like I needed to add anything else because I felt like what he said, it really closed out the piece or really, you know, put a stamp on it for me. Also, just a little thing with me, it's just my way of documenting just important people and important things that people say. I've been working to do that throughout my music for quite some time now. And I love that it's Mr. Fab. I love that it's the Bay Area because there's so many speeches going on across the country, powerful, just striking speeches. But to have Mr. Fab do it in the Bay Area right now really takes us to this place of, oh, wow, you're seeing this whole lens from Bungie Carter to now. So it really just brought us right home present day. Mm. That's, uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Then we get to track number three. Now, now fresh off the lot, but it's new to me. Car wash up a shell, had to keep a clay. And my daddy used to say, watch out for police. Had my arm out the window, yeah, I'm doing my thing. It's the excitement of getting your first car and the celebration and just so much feel good and just so relatable. So many people have been there. What was it like making that one? Man, I'm just glad that you feel it. That's another thing that I progress with the music is I've gotten to the point where when I'm recording, I think, you know, past just getting the lyrics down, but putting the feeling of the lyrics into the words, you know, when I'm when I'm recording, you know, and being conscious and intentional about that to hear that it translated in the you know, you got the energy of like that excitement when you get your first car. It's like, oh, can't, can't tell me nothing, man. Don't matter what kind of car it is, man. You feeling like the one that day. The prelude to this is uh, my man Ian Kelly. One time for my man Ian Kelly. Yes. He has this song called um, Town. Shh. <laughs> yes, I can't curse my son. Is it here? Looked at me crazy. <laughs> oh, amazing record. And I told him when I heard it, it just, it brings me back to just riding through the town, riding through Oakland, riding through the Bay Area and just that feeling. And I was telling him, I was like, man, I'm inspired. I need to, I need to make me one of them. I need to have one of them because uh, I want to ride to something like that. Kev H blessed me. When I heard the song, I mean, the beat, I was like, oh, this is it. The lyrics really kind of just flew out of me on that one, you know, to the point where I was speaking about earlier about just going with the feeling and and being able to just record in the moment 
Whereas before, when I didn't have the home studio set up, I may have be inspired and come up with a crazy hook in this verse and have the energy, um, but I can't record that day. So I'll try to do a voice note. And sometimes it, it carries over and I, when I take it to the studio, I can listen to the voice note and kind of get back to the energy. Um, but other times I just feel like I lose just some of the specialness. And with this one, I came up with the hook and I was like, ooh. I was like, oh, I got to record this right now. You know yes. what I mean? And, and once I laid it down and I listened back, I was like, yes, this is the one. It's one of my favorite songs, actually. You know, just personal ones for me to listen to. It's one of the ones where I feel I can enjoy it. You know what I mean? Which is difficult for me and my, mu- you know, with my music. It's very, very enjoyable. I love it. Then we get to track number four, yeah. Sunny. Nah. Hey. Hey. Jumbo, my name is Clifford Solo. Ayy, much love to Mexico, you know my mortars trollos. Ayy, you know I bring the bounce like we came from Gogo. Ayy, before I go any further, let me say for Popo. Okay, now back to business. I describe it as an upbeat ode to blackness, and I think it just feels good. What was the vision for this one when you were making it? Where I am in life, I've been studying a lot more of just world politics and and world history and culture from other places. Um, So that's why at the beginning I say Jambo and Nihao. If you listen, closing Jambo is Swahili for, for like saying what's up or hello. And I've been working to incorporate different cultures and different languages and just little bits and pieces here and there, because the more I've been studying the more I'm realizing how much we are connected, despite, you know, what we have been taught via quote unquote black versus white or East versus West, first world country versus third world, uh, Muslim versus Christian, whatever divides that have gone on, the more that I study, the more I'm realizing how much we have in common or there's similar or there's things that connect us. And so I think that the whole energy of that verse was just doing my best to kind of articulate that and put that kind of energy out into the world. And when I got done with the verse again, I was like, well, you know, I feel like that verse is pretty good. You know what I mean? I don't know if I have anything more to say. Um, and the bounce I had was so groovy. So I just was sitting with it for a second. I don't remember how the clip about my man, Ryan, shout out to Ryan Coogler, amazing human being, also director, writer. You know what I mean? If you don't know, I don't remember how it came to mind, but I watched that interview a few times. If you haven't listened to it, you get the chance to listen to it. He's just speaking about we as so-called black people, so-called, you know, Negroes or African-Americans here in the U.S., how we have connections and things that we do with our culture here that's connected to some culture and traditions of brothers and sisters that he visited when he was in Africa doing research and studying for what would be uh, known as Black Panther. Maybe when I listened to it back, I was like, oh, this is perfect, you know, because the story that he describes, it really just articulates in a different way kind of the point that I'm driving home or that I'm working to drive home, that we're connected and our connection is much deeper than any of the trauma and the oppression and 
adversity that we have faced. That applies to us as so-called black people or Africans, but really and truly on a deeper level, that is us as human beings. And that is something that it's a touchy uh, topic to really communicate and express because of the politics and being perceived as all lives matter. But really and truly, it's only one race, which is the human race, and all human lives do matter. But, you know, I understand the politics and blah, 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 blah. So I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm belittling Black Lives Matter or anything like that. But the larger point that we all have to work to is understanding that we're all part of the same human family. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I sometimes get in a bit of a rant, as um, as you probably can tell right now. So That clip from Ryan Kugler is so perfect because once again, you're bringing it home. Ryan Kugler, Oakland, California, present day, the Black Panther movie. That makes me so happy. You know, I'll give you this little, this little jewel that I don't, you know, I don't express too often, but you know, that is my man. You know what I mean? That's my man, 50 grand. And I'm, I just say that because I'm extremely proud. Long time ago, uh, when he was putting out his first short films, Locks, it got onto this BT competition type thing. And it's like, you have to go vote for it to get aired on, you know, actual BT or something like that, some sort of competition thing. And I remember sending the link out to my friends and everywhere like, yo, please vote for my man. He's going to be this amazing movie. Duh, 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 duh. And they're like, yeah, Cliff, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool, man. Oh, you on BT? Oh, that's, that's cool, man. And I was telling people, I was like, man, one day, when he gets the opportunity and the right space, he's going to make something amazing. You're going to see. And so, you know, I put that in there, you know, just as like a little hidden jewel, you know, even for myself, because if you don't know who that is, it's an amazing story. But then when you realize, oh, that's Ryan. Oh, snap. Oh, you know what I mean? It's such a gem. And it's also now hearing that story from you. It's also full circle for you to know that that was your guy. You knew he was talented. You knew that he was waiting for the right space. And boom, there he is. And to put you guys together on this track. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> then we get to track number five from the soul. <laughs> At approximately 2.45 p.m. this afternoon, two men were murdered at the UCLA campus. Their names are John Huggins, 23 years old, and Al Prentice Carter, 26 years old. They were attending a meeting at the campus where the black students were discussing the qualifications for the director of the Afro-American Studies Center. Are they currently registered here? Yes. Know? Are they both members of the Black Panthers Union? I cannot confirm that. I uh, I have no specific on that. You know if they're members of any militant organization? I cannot answer that. I do not know. Do you already have any suspects of us involved in this? How many suspects have been apprehended at this hour? We have no suspects in custody. We are interviewing witnesses. I'm a bear my soul. Let's go. This is something from the soul. 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 This is something from the. This is something from the soul. 
we had talked about it earlier, how it starts with the announcement of Bungie Carter's death. Like you say, we got to heal the world. And I think that this one kind of slows it down to a place where it's very reflective. And like you said, just really touches on this lack of empathy and humanity that we see way too often. For that one, how was that writing it? I really wanted to do my best to express what I really felt truly on, you know, deep to my core, you know, with Wu, with Sonny, even with Cap No Cap, those are expressions of me. And, you know, some of it is more lighthearted and, you know, more about the party aspect if we're thinking about Bungie Carter and, and that aspect of them. But from the soul, I really wanted to get to the nitty gritty of what I was feeling. And in particular, in that moment in time and in that space and time, it was a whole lot going on. It had me frustrated and it had me angry at the conditions that we're still in, you know, for us to still be going through the same issues 40, 50 years later. I understand the frustration. I understand the want to lash back out, you know, in certain ways. But I also wanted to make sure that I put out into the universe that we we have the ability and we can choose to make a different choice and that we can choose love instead of hate. Uh, if you can see a little bit up top there, Martin Luther King Jr., he gets a lot of flack. I see a lot of people and Jesus, you know what I mean, one time for Jesus also. They get disrespected and kind of like play to the left because of the nonviolent approach and, you know, this idea of loving your enemy and forgiving, you know, the people that are hating you and out to attack you. But for me, after doing a lot of reflecting and doing a lot of reading and, you know, just soul searching, you know, no but, but I understand the power in that. And I understand the power in choosing love instead of hate and choosing to do things a different way, to make a change in a different way and to not necessarily uh, respond with more violence because ultimately that cycle will continue. And so I just wanted to kind of express those feelings and, and get that out into the universe because it's something that I've felt for a while and I don't think I articulated it that way. And so, yeah, I said, let me, you know, kick it from the soul, you know, as the title says. And you describing it too, just really super fascinating. And I feel like it's something that I'm going to have to go back and listen to a couple more times. And, and also, I think it's so important that you brought up the fact that not only have you been soul searching, but even doing research and, and reading stories about Jesus and Martin Luther King Jr. And, and all these people who chose love over any other form of trying to solve things. And I think that that means a lot too, because for whatever reason, whether people don't want to do the research or don't have time to do the research or whatever that looks like, the fact that you did do the research and looked into it, I think is super important. And thank you to your point to add on with Martin Luther King Jr. Specifically, I just want to put this out there. He has a speech called Love Your Enemies, um, November 17th, 1957. If you go go on the YouTube or the internet, you, you'll be able to find it, hopefully. But I listened to that speech and I listened to this speech probably every few months because it's, it's powerful and it's amazing. I really appreciate it that he breaks down 
several layers of love, you know, into the definition of the love, you know, what love means in the different layers. And then he gave this amazing example where he was riding with his cousin, I believe, on on this dark road somewhere in the south. And he's, he was saying that on this road, you know, you have to have your high beams on because it's so pitch black that you can't see in front of you like that. But that when the cars was coming in the opposite direction, nobody was lowering their high beams. And it makes it, you know, if you've driven before, that can be very difficult to drive when somebody's flashing their high beams at you like that. And he said his cousin that was driving was getting so frustrated. He said, you know, the next time I'm not lowering my high beams, I don't care if they don't lower their high beams and we both going, and that's just what's going to be. And Martin Luther King Jr. has said to his cousin, you know, it's like basically, you know, paraphrasing, I feel you, big dog. I feel you. Somebody got to do the right thing or we could both wind up crashing and harming ourselves. We both won't make it home tonight. That's a very, you know, just profound way of understanding you got to be the bigger person, especially when you recognize that you can be. You know, it's one thing if you don't even know that you can make a, a, a different choice and make a choice to heal and make a choice of love. But when you recognize that, when you're aware of that choice, well, then you got to make it. You know what I mean? If you are sincere and truly want to heal and truly want us all to grow. That's what I feel anyway. I listen to that speech a lot. I humbly suggest anybody that is interested in figuring out, well, how would I love my enemy or how would I forgive the people that are hating me or that, you know, have been oppressing me and my people? How how do you even go about that? Martin Luther King Jr. is, you know, I know that I have a dream is one that gets all the clout, but that love your enemy speech is, is, a, is a doozy, man. That That's one of them ones. And the way he did it in such a relatable way, like anybody who has drove knows what it's like to experience those high beams. You know, I think about it all the time, like even driving in the Bay Area, like people don't want to let you merge. And there's this weird egotistical thing with merging. And it's like you feel that. And for Martin Luther King Jr. to be like, hey, I feel you. I know what you feel right now. But here's how we should approach it. Absolutely relatable. Wow, wow, wow. Yo, let me just tell this story real quick. I totally forgot about this. So you said it. Oh, man, we're getting way off. But <laughs> real quick, I remember coming home. This dude was getting on the freeway and I was trying to get off. And it was one of those exits where, you know, it's a certain amount of distance where you can get on and get off. And he was trying to speed ahead of me mm-hmm. to get on the freeway. But in reality, man, you slow down, man. You already going slow. You trying to slow down, let me get off. But he didn't want to slow down. So I said, no, I'm speeding up. Now I can see the time. We running short on being able to get on and get off. But he wasn't going to give way and I wasn't going to give way. I said, well, if you you ain't letting me off, you ain't getting on. (laughs) So he got stuck and had to get back off the freeway and I missed my exit and had to keep going to the next one. But I tell you what, though, he ain't get on that freeway. <laughs> that's for sure. But that's the ego. You know what I mean? Now, in hindsight, I laugh about it because it's just like, how silly is that, man? Just ease off the gas and let him get on. It doesn't matter. It's not that big a deal. Ultimately, nobody won. You felt like you won, but you didn't get to exit. And it's not just you, like it's literally the whole Bay Area and how we drive. 
we're all work in progress. <laughs> That's true. That's true, man. Especially true. behind the wheel, though. There's something about it. Oh, man. <laughs> For a short time in my life, I was um I was doing limousine work, and I felt a lot like most deaf in the movie Brown Sugar. Yes. Um, but aside from that, one thing I noticed, I was listening to a lot of classical and jazz music when I was driving. Then it does something to my mood when I'm driving. Uh, that's a tip to everybody. Just turn on some classical. Just chill. Then we get to track number six, Bungie Carter. Yeah, now, uh, I'm saying long live Bungie Carter. And prayers to the families of the fallen martyrs. The babies had to make a way without their fathers. I lost mine a couple years ago. Uh, and life is kind of harder now. To me, that one is just the importance of self-love. It's such a sweet, sweet song. How did you approach that one when you heard that beat? I really love that that beat, man. Kev H is amazing. It just was really soothing. Yeah, the sound of it and the rain sound of it, it all just felt really soothing. I remember thinking, you know, that I wanted to match the energy in the canvas with my tone. You know, I didn't even know what I wanted to say, but I remembered that I wanted the tone of my voice. I didn't want it to be overbearing. I really wanted to blend in and really connect with the with the music. And to build on earlier, just, you know, what I was saying in terms of making a different choice and, and, and choosing love and healing. One of the lyrics I say, God told me to tell my people, killing is not the way. I honestly don't know where the feeling came from with me. But for as long as I can remember, I've always felt that killing another human being is just something that we're not supposed to do. You know, I remember loving fighter jets, you know, and and having books when I was little and wanting to be a fighter jet, looking at all little models of them until I got old enough to realize you have to be in the army, in the military, excuse me, to fly those and they're used, you know, in the weapons, they're really to kill people. And then once I really, you know, made the connections like, oh, I can't do that. It's just not the way that we're supposed to go. So I think for the most part, I really just wanted to get that soothing energy. I knew that that was going to be the one to close the, the project. And I wanted to make sure that I left people with something uplifting, something healing, something calming because the energy throughout the project you know as you listen through you get into some to some heavy things and you know there's some deep topics that are discussed and so I wanted to make sure that how the thing closed out felt healing and felt uplifting as opposed to frustrated or angry or vengeful or any of the emotions or feelings that I feel kind of go towards destroying and I wanted to move away from that and move away from the conflict and move towards the healing. The thing that I love about it is it's talking about the importance of self-love, but at the same time, there's such a community aspect to it, like not only about self-love as a community, but even in the music, like the chorus itself is so sing along with nobody like you can just imagine people singing that all together so I think having this idea of self-love as a community I think really shines out of that song and I really love that thank you that's uh it's, it's awesome that you even mentioned that because that little piece was one of those things that 
when I make my music, a lot of times I'll bounce out a, a rough version and I'll listen to the rough version just to see, is there anything else that I need to add to this piece? There's a couple sprinkles that I can add here or there. And I remember listening to the track and hearing and singing, nobody in my head. And I was like, oh man, I should add that. I doubted myself for a second because I'm not a trained singer or anything like that at all. But as you we speaking about earlier, putting that doubt to the side and just trying it and seeing what happens. And I've been doing that a lot more with singing and just my my voice and just, you know, just seeing what happens. When I did that, I was like, I like it. I like it. And I feel like if you know what that's from, it makes you smile. On a little personal note, that just makes me smile because it brings me back to a time with my parents and us going to Yosemite. Just I remember them listening to like all the jams, Key Sweat, uh, mm-hmm. uh, New Edition, all of that music. Tevin Campbell, Can We Talk, all the classic joints. But I remember Keith Sweat, they had a tape or something. I had them play that song so many times. It just was jamming to me. You know what I mean? Didn't know what the song was about back then. But you know what I mean? It's just a cool little jam. So I said, yeah, I want to add that in. No, I love that so much. That was the first CD single I ever bought. Back when they had single CDs. And exactly what you just said is how I used to feel about it. I did not know what they were talking about, but I was singing along. Nobody who can. Yes, all of it. We didn't know, but it felt good. It sounded good. We're into it. (laughs) I love that. Then we get to the last track, Words from Asada. In the 1960s, the Black Liberation Movement was the number one target of COINTELPRO. And the Black Panther Party specifically was targeted uh, by uh, J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI, and the CIA, and all of the repressive forces in the United States government. You had talked about the importance of starting the album and ending the album with these incredible women. How did you come across that clip? Well, I've been inspired by Asada, Asada Shakur for some time now. I remember hearing her name with Common, you know, a song for Asada. And I remember being moved at the time. I don't think I understood just how powerful of a person, you know, just how amazing her story was, is, excuse me. And so as I got older, I stumbled onto a documentary about her online and just some of her interviews and hearing her speak. Again, just blown away. That's another person at some point that I would like to shed more light on because I just feel I just feel sh- her journey and what she went through is important. In fact, I actually I have her autobiography and I gave it to my daughter um, mm. to read and we was talking about it. Because I gave it to her a couple of years ago when she was maybe 11, 12-ish. And we was talking about her. She's 14 now. And she was like, you know, Dad, that book was a, that was really, that's a lot for me to read that young. I understood and understand that it is a lot. I don't even want to give away the story. But if you don't know who Asada Shakur is, you should get her book, Asada, um, or just look into her story. And I did know that it was a lot for my daughter, but I wanted to begin to introduce her into the reality of, you know, what we've been living through and what we're currently living in, but also to empower her. She be on my helmet all the time now about 
feminist this and you know are you down with the patriarchy dad or you say this because i'm a woman dad i like that she is empowered and you know she feels strong and you know confident in herself as a woman i feel that asada shakur truly represents that as a black panther as a revolutionary as a woman i think i was just searching for the clip that i felt could best close the project you know she has several different clips and and pieces here and there online that you can find that you can hear her speaking with that one and really just with all of the kind of clips that i find here and there i really just go with my instinct and in my in my gut and how does it make me feel once i feel like yes this is right it's like okay i'll pick that one other than that i don't have necessarily too much more criteria or you know as long as it sounds good you know the quality is cool Mm, that's gorgeous because thinking about you describing them as canvases and art pieces it's like it all comes back to feeling like art is feeling and art is not this formulated process super contrived thing it's feeling so to hear you say that you felt it and you threw it in there and and it worked like there's so much magic in that i love that yeah man man um And to your point, you know, it's why I am making an emphasis to see my music, but all of artists, any artists, to see it as art, Mm -hmm. as opposed to content. You know, and I understand the term and how it's used in society. But for me, when I hear us, when I hear people talk about, oh, I have to create some content and, oh, I have some content, there's some new content coming out. It begins to me to take away the magic and the specialness of art. And it starts to sound and feel more of a product as opposed to, you know, an expression, you know, with actual feelings and actual emotions, you know, that's really connected to something. And so, for a couple of years now, I've been working on shifting my whole mentality and how I view and speak about it, because eventually, you know, where I want to get to is creating spaces, creating museums where our art, our music can be displayed like other, you know, like a Picasso or like whatever kind of artist. I feel that our music and T.I., you know, he has the the Trap Museum, I believe. In Atlanta, there's people that I see that are starting to do a Yasin Bey. He unveiled one of his albums that you can only listen to in the museum. And it's like, yes, this is where I think and I feel in my heart we need to start taking our music and really how we view our music and view our art and our culture because it truly is that special and it and it deserves that kind of attention and that type of space to allow people to understand it. And I think that as we grow and we build, when we can do that, it'll allow people to to really dive deep and check out the murals. <laughs> Shout out to Lupe Fiasco. <laughs> That's everything. Not to say that this is about me, but what you were saying just on a personal level resonated with me because I have been using the word content way too much. And it's art, especially just all this music and all these creations that we get to enjoy like they are art. And just to keep building, you know, to give you some flowers, your interview with Monty, 
TV babies mm-hmm. and hearing him expressing and explaining the layers to the music. It was his explanation of it and the fact that you provided a space to allow the artist to do that that made me appreciate the project on a deeper level. Mm. Um, and it made me go back and listen to it again and say, okay, let me let me really tune in because I didn't realize that it had the layer or whatever, that aspect. I was not listening and I didn't catch it that time. And that's the beauty of hip hop and the beauty of our art. I mean, the beauty of art, you know, in general is that there can be so many layers to it that you, you know, if you're not looking for it or if you don't realize it or you aren't giving the platform and the space to to really receive it and really take in the art in the truest sense, it can sometimes get overlooked as just content. And what you do is art. I'm striving to look at things with a different eye or a different lens. And I think about you know, some of the interviews that you've done and the discussions, well, not necessarily interviews, but the discussions and conversations and how maybe one of those clips 25 years from now may get pulled and it'll be used as somebody's intro, you know, to some incredible album, just little things like that. And you never know the art and what you're creating and how it may contribute to something much more grand than you into the future. You know what I mean? That's the magic I feel of what we're creating and of hip hop. I am working to help us remember and not lose sight of the magic of it because I do see, I want to come off as knocking or shading people. You know what I mean? Like, damn, I've been calling my stuff content. You know what I mean? (laughs) But but just to help remind you that now what you're creating is, is art. It is a special expression that is truly unique and to just not lose sight of that. You know what I mean? Because what what we're doing is going to change the world. That's my feeling anyway. Beautiful. No, I appreciate that so much. Like the fact that you said you listened to that interview and you went back and listened to the project is the utmost compliment to me. And just how you were saying, like the idea of these layers and the spaces to have conversations about what these layers are is absolutely what fuels me. So for you to get that means so much to me. I try to be as aware and appreciative as possible of people who get it and not to discount anybody who doesn't get it, but I am so floored and just thankful for the people who do get it. So thank you for that. And all the things you described are just completely aspirational as far as whether it's album intros or people going back to it for you know historical reference whatever it is those are even higher compliments that I can't even process properly so I appreciate you thank you for all that yet and it's real you know I mean I I appreciate the opportunity to Mm -hmm. express myself and talk about Bunchy Carter Grooves a little bit more but beyond myself taking myself out of it I am a fan I appreciate hip hop culture. I'm not lost in the sight of, oh, I'm an artist, so I'm not a participant. I love and I appreciate all of it. One thing that's been eating away at me is because I have my artist hat on and I'm I'm doing certain things creatively, I don't have the time and the capacity to do some things that I want to do. And one of them is to document and just 
shine a light on hip-hop culture, but particularly when I see people doing it and when I see people doing it in a way that makes me proud of our culture. It just makes me happy people are out there and they see the value in our culture, you know, to the point about verses, you know, seeing the response and seeing the framing of the verses and how Bay Area hip hop culture, how it's viewed from the outside in. And, you know, in my humble opinion, a very true and authentic perspective, but a very um, limited perspective on our culture. And, you know, rather than do too much complaining, I'm really working to appreciate and be grateful and show support and love to the people that are helping to show other aspects and to help present a fuller view of hip hop and in particular, um, Bay Area hip hop. And you're one of those people that have been doing it, you know what I mean, for a while. And I've been watching as a fan. So I just appreciate what you're doing and just, you know, encouraging you to keep going because I have a really good feeling when you look back, when people look back and, you know, when the world starts to look back and see our culture, you know, these kinds of things are going to be there to help paint a bigger picture and and a more detailed picture of just how magical our culture is. So thank you. Thank you. I'm like, oh, I'm a little speechless after that. That's, that's, that's a lot to take in. I appreciate you. And then, of course, like I said in the beginning of this episode, there are so many projects for you to listen to from Cliff Solo. Please check those out on all your streaming services. Anything else you want to tell the people about Bunchy Carter Grooves? I appreciate you listening to this. If you get a chance to listen to Bunchy Garter Grooves, I appreciate that. But more importantly, I humbly encourage you to look up the person and just do a little research into who Bunchy Carter was and is and what he represented. You know, I love the ego part of me, the MC part, definitely wants to get them streams up and, you know, all of that. But beyond the music, really and truly, it's the message that he was bringing and just how he was representing himself in the Black Panthers that I really love and respected and appreciated. And if you can, you know what I mean? Just do a little research, find something out and maybe tell somebody, you know, that you know or that you care about. Just a little, you know, fun fact about Bunchy Carter. Hey, did you know about this dude, Bunchy Carter from the Black Panthers? Just see where the conversation goes from there. I love that. Not only looking it up, but sharing it. All super, super powerful. And that's it. Thank you so, so much. I'm just so appreciative of your time and the stories that you shared and the knowledge that you shared and just all of it and the gems. Oh, goodness, the gems. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. And I'm grateful. I'm really grateful because I'm working really hard to not take things for granted and recognize and appreciate things in the moment. So And I say that because I had a moment where my brother and I, you know, and my man Boom and Legendary, we had a song on the Creed soundtrack uh, to Mm -hmm. the movie Creed. And I remember going to the premiere of the movie and I was dealing with a lot at that time in my life. And I was so caught up in everything that I was going through that I even forgot that there was a premiere. And I remember getting a text like, hey, 
Cliff, where you at, bro? You coming to the premiere? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I just threw on a hoodie and and, because it was at Grand Lake Theater. And I I don't live too far from there uh, in Oakland. And I remember just, you know, like going to the premiere and taking a couple pictures, but not really taking in the the moment and appreciating. Wow, look at how far, you know, you've come. You have a song on a soundtrack of a film. You know, I think about that a lot and I'm doing my best to appreciate moments like this because um, I don't want to take it for granted. So thank you. No problem. Something for all of us to take away. Definitely just being in the moment and and taking it in because we can all relate to that. Everybody's had an experience like that where it's like, oh, man, it's whatever. But then you're like, oh, no, that was a big deal. And I should have treated it as such. And thank you for checking out this podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. And then reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at Special Says and on Instagram. It's at Special Says as well. As always, this episode is dedicated to Marlon. Do what you can to stop senseless acts of gun violence.